Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons on the book of Ezra, and the text for the sermon today is taken from that same book, chapter 8, the verses 21 through 23. Let us hear the reading of God's holy word. Then I, that is Ezra, proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May he bless the reading and preaching of it to our hearts this day. Dear friends, have you ever found yourself in an impossible situation? A situation in which there was no immediate or even long-term solution. Most people don't like to find themselves in such situations. We'd rather know what our options are. But when there are no options, what do we do? Well, in such cases, all we can do is venture on God. And by that I mean cast ourselves upon Him. Trust in Him to show us the way. And this is precisely what Ezra did. As we can read in the previous chapter, Ezra had asked Artaxerxes, king of Persia, for permission to lead a second exodus from Babylon to the Promised Land. And Artaxerxes agreed. He also furnished Ezra with a letter authorizing him to do whatever was necessary to ensure compliance with the law of the Lord. And he gave him much gold and silver to support the work of the temple. Well, upon receiving this letter, Ezra immediately proceeded to summon a meeting of the leading men, the heads of their houses, to persuade them to go along. And in the end, some 1,500 men agreed to go, along with their wives and children, so about 5,000 people in total. But while they were assembled by the river or the canal that flows to Ahava, Ezra found himself in an impossible situation, a situation of his own making, and for which there was no apparent solution. So what did Ezra do? Well, he ventured on God. And that's what we hope to consider in our sermon today. Our theme is Ezra ventures on God. We'll consider, first of all, the challenge he faced, secondly, the means he employed, and thirdly, the answer he received. First then, the challenge he faced. The people of Judah had been camping by the Ahava Canal for several days. Originally, they were only supposed to be there for three days. But then Ezra discovered that there were no Levites and Nethanim in the company, and that forced him to postpone their departure. In the meantime, as we saw last time, 
Ezra commissioned some leading men to go to Iddo, the chief man at the place Casaphia, and ask him to send some. And they did, and some 38 Levites and 220 Nephinim responded. Well, now at long last, they were ready to go. Everything was ready for the long journey back to the promised land. But before they set out, Ezra did something unexpected. He called on the people to fast and pray. We read of that in verse 21. Then I proclaimed a fast there, Ezra writes, at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. Now the text doesn't say this, but I'm sure that many of the people were not very happy about this, and for good reason. After all, they had been camped out by the Ahava Canal for several days now, and they were anxious to get going. So why did Ezra do this? Why did he, at the last minute, proclaim a fast? Well, we have the answer to that question in verse 22. There Ezra writes this. He writes, I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him. But his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. Now it appears from this that Artaxerxes had offered Ezra an armed escort to accompany him to the land of Judah. And he did that for a good reason. And that's because the people of Judah were taking with them a large quantity of gold and silver. According to chapter 7, verse 15 and 16, this gold and silver was donated by the king and his counselors to pay for sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem and to support the work of the temple. In fact, in chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, we learn that there were 650 talents of silver, silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 gold basins worth a 1,000 drachmas, and two vessels of fine polished bronze, precious as gold, and that was a vast sum. But having such a large amount of money in their possession would make them a target for bands of thieves along the way, especially since the Jews were not skilled in the art of warfare or even self-defense. And Artaxerxes knew this. And so he wisely offered Ezra an armed military escort for protection. He didn't want to see all of his gold and silver stolen by a bunch of bandits. But shockingly, Ezra refused this generous offer. Why? Well, because he believed that to accept an armed military escort would be to fail to trust in God. And that is something that Ezra could not and would not do. In fact, in his reply to Artaxerxes, Ezra boldly and confidently declared that the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. Now, as an aside, we cannot help notice a difference in approach here between Ezra and his contemporary Nehemiah. Like Ezra, Nehemiah was also offered a military escort. But unlike Ezra, Nehemiah accepted this offer. And we know that because in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9, Nehemiah writes that the king, and that's the same king Artaxerxes, had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. 
So Ezra refused the king's offer, but Nehemiah did not. Now we're reminded here that believers may not always see eye to eye on everything, but they are and they ought to be still one in the Lord. Apostle Paul expresses that same truth in Romans chapter 14. There he addresses the issue of eating meat that had been offered to an idol. Apparently some of the Christians in Rome believed that this was wrong, but it was a form, they, they believed, of participating in idol worship, but others had no problem with it. So how did Paul respond to this? Well, he said, basically, don't let this come between you. He writes in verse 3, Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. And then in verse 5, he says, Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. So Paul's point is that there are some matters in the Christian life that are indifferent. And that means it doesn't matter what you do so long as you are not violating a clear command of Scripture. The key is not to create division over such matters. A good contemporary example of that is vaccines. Many believers today are wrestling with whether or not to be vaccinated. Some say you should. And some will even say it's wrong if you don't. Others, however, say you shouldn't. And they will even say it's wrong if you do. Well, here again, we need to respect one another. Ezra refused a military escort, but Nehemiah did not. Let every one of us be convinced in his own mind. And let us, at all, by all means, pursue peace whenever and wherever we can. And so Ezra faced a difficult challenge. How could he embark on this journey without a military escort? And how could he ask for one when earlier he had refused and declared that his trust was in the Lord? Well, Ezra didn't know. So what did he do? Well, that brings us to our second point, the means he employed. Ezra had declared to the king that his trust was in the Lord. And for that reason, he would not accept his offer of an armed military escort. But that still begged the question, what about the bandits who were sure to attack them along the way? And there were many such roving bands of bandits during those times. What could be done about them? How could they protect themselves? How could they protect the money, the gold and the silver that they were carrying with them to Jerusalem? There was certainly no time to train the Jews to fight. Besides, that too could be perceived as a lack of trust in God. So what did Ezra do? Well, he proclaimed a fast. We read of that in verse 21. Ezra writes, I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. So Ezra proclaims a fast. Now this is not uncommon. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel often fasted. Now they were only required to do so on the Day of Atonement, but they fasted on many other occasions as well, such as during times of war or during times of a threat of war or when a loved one was sick or when a loved one or an important person died, or when seeking God's forgiveness for national sins and when facing impending danger and to commemorate certain calamities. On all these occasions, and perhaps more, the people of Israel regularly fasted. So this was not an uncommon thing. And so Ezra draws on this long history, and he proclaims a fast. Now, most New Testament Christians do not fast. But there are good reasons to do so. One writer that I read says this, 
He says there's something about fasting that sharpens the edge of our intercessions and deepens the passion of our supplications. The same writer, quoting another writer, says this, Fasting is calculated to bring a note of urgency and importunity into our praying and to give force to our pleading in the court of heaven. The man who prays with fasting is giving heaven notice that he is truly in earnest. Not only so, but he's expressing his earnestness in a divinely appointed way. He is using a means that God has chosen to make his voice to be heard on high. John Chrysostom, one of the greatest preachers of the 5th century, said this. He said, fasting is as much as lies in us an imitation of the angels, a condemning of things present, a school of prayer, a nourishment of the soul, a bridle of the mouth. It mollifies rage, it appeases anger, it calms the tempests of nature, it excites reason, it clears the mind, it disturbs the flesh, it chases away night pollutions, it frees from headache. By fasting, a man gets composed behavior, free utterance of his tongue, right apprehensions of his mind. And so fasting, though not required, can be very beneficial. And Ezra knew this. And so he proclaimed a fast. And you'll notice that this was not merely a suggestion. This was a requirement. All the people were required to fast. But that's not all. They were also required to pray. You see, fasting and prayer go hand in hand. And for that reason, they're often mentioned together in the Scriptures. And you'll notice how in verse 21, this praying is described. It's described as a humbling of oneself before God. Now, we need to be humble before God. And that's because God is holy, and you and I are utterly unholy. And as such, we have no right to ask God for anything. Never think that you deserve something from God. We deserve nothing. Only his wrath and his condemnation because of our sins. Our sins are like a mountain blocking the light of the sun. Just as the sun cannot penetrate a mountain, so our sins create a barrier between us and God. And that should humble us before him. In fact, It must, if we want our prayers to be answered. Remember the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple. Jesus said two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And he said the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. And he said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, Jesus said, but beat upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And after telling this parable, Jesus said this. He said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And Jesus' point is simply this. If we want God to answer our prayers, we must come to him not in pride, but in humility. God hears the prayer of the humble, but he despises the prayers of the proud.
Now, to be sure, such humility does not come naturally. None of us is humble by nature. We're actually full of pride. Humility is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who makes his people humble. By making them aware of their sinfulness and their unworthiness before God and revealing to them the great love and mercy of God. My friend, has he done that in your life? Have you learned to humble yourself before God? Is that also how you approach God in prayer? If not, you cannot expect him to hear you. And so Ezra exhorted the people to pray. Now what about, he tells us in verse 21, to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. So to seek from God the right way is simply another way of saying to ask for his blessing. Ezra wanted the people to beseech God to bless them on their journey. And we need to do the same. You see, we too are on a journey. Not a journey from Babylon to Judah, but a journey from this world to heaven. And along the way, there are many dangers, toils, and snares, as John Bunyan so powerfully portrays in Pilgrim's Progress. But God has given us the means whereby we may ask for his blessing, and that is fasting and prayer. And my question to you today is, are you making use of these means? Well, do not think that you can make this journey alone. You can't. You need the Lord. You need him to strengthen you day by day, to guide you, to uphold you, and to protect you from the enemies along the way. And he's the only one who can do so. And therefore I ask you, are you looking to him today? You know, if he's not with us, we'll perish along the way. But if he is, then we will arrive safely at our destination. And that's exactly what happened with Ezra and the people of Judah. And that brings us to our third and final point. The people of Judah fasted and prayed as Ezra had commanded. And then according to verse 31, on the twelfth day of the first month, they finally departed. Now chapter 7 verse 9 indicates that Ezra departed on the first day of the first month. But as we've seen, this date had to be set back because of the lack of Levites. Whatever the case, they embarked on their journey. Now, what happened along the way, we don't know. We don't know anything about that. Ezra provides no details. But in verse 31, he writes this. We departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. Now, the fact that Ezra says that God delivered them from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road seems to imply that the journey was not without incident. It's possible that this caravan seems to have been attacked not once but several times. But here is the important point. The hand of God was upon them and delivered them, as Ezra said. You notice how he refers here to the hand of God. This expression appears several times in the book of Ezra. And it's a metaphor for God's providential protection and care. Ezra compares God's providence to the hand of God. And a hand is that which controls. And so it's rightly compared to providence. 
Our Heidelberg Catechism on Lord's Day 10 does the same. Providence there is compared to the hand of God by which he upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yes, and all things come not by chance but by his fatherly hand. So it's by his hand that God protected his people. It's by his hand that he prevented them from being destroyed by their enemies. It's by his hand that he brought them safely into the promised land. And Ezra says as much in verse 32. So we came to Jerusalem. After four months, the people arrived safely back in the promised land, ready to begin a new chapter of their lives. Now, how do we explain this? Well, there's only one explanation. It's the power of prayer. Verse 23, Ezra writes, So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. So the people fasted and prayed, and as a result, God answered their prayer. Now the prophet Zechariah predicted as much. In Zechariah 13, verse 9, the Lord says, I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call in my name, and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. So we see the fulfillment of that promise right here in our text. God's people fasted and prayed, and the Lord heard and answered. We're reminded here that our God is a God who hears and answers prayer. In fact, he delights to do so. And for that reason, let us be encouraged. The Lord has called us, as we've seen, to embark on a long and difficult journey. But when we are in distress, when we don't know which way to turn or how to go forward, when the enemy is too strong and too powerful for us, we may cry out to him, believing, trusting that he will hear he will answer, and he will bring us safely through. Why? Not because of anything in us, surely, but solely because of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, like Ezra, Christ prays for his people every step of the way. And what does he pray for? Well, we receive some indication of that in his high priestly prayer in John 17. And there in verse 11, Jesus says, Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. And in verse 15, he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So twice, Jesus prays in this prayer that his Father would keep his people. That is, that he would keep them in his tender and loving care. Why? He tells us in verse 24. Father, he says, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. So here's the answer. Our Lord Jesus asks his Father to keep his people so that they might behold his glory and that they might be with him where he is, which is in heaven. Now, when will that happen? When will they behold his glory? When will they be with him in glory? When he comes again. And then every eye shall see him. Every knee shall bow down before him. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then he will take his own 
weary, battered, and bruised from this long journey. And he will bring them into his kingdom. And he will show them the place that he has been preparing for them from before the foundation of the world. And when they see it, they shall rejoice. And they will give God the glory forever and ever. And so Ezra ventured on God. And God rewarded him. He brought him and the people into the promised land in safety. Now what about us today? Have we ever ventured on the Lord like Ezra? One commentator writes this, and I quote, he says, There are times when faith must take on flesh, when what is professed must be expressed in concrete situations. There are those times when we must reject all visible human help and risk all on God alone. When could we possibly be safer? But we often don't view it that way. We're like the terrified lady on board ship in a terrific storm. She happened to pass the captain and asked, Is there any hope, captain? To which he responded, Our only hope is in God. She turned more pale and gasped, Are things really that bad? The point is, if we say that we believe in God and we believe that God has the power to do anything, then there are times when we need to act on that belief as well. To be sure, we need to make use of every human means available to us. If we're sick, we should go to the doctor, and we should take the medication that he or she prescribes. If we want to protect ourselves from injury while driving, we should fasten our seatbelt. But there are times when, like Ezra, we have no such means available to us. And we simply have to trust in the Lord, even if doing so appears utterly foolish to others. Well, my friend, are you prepared to do that? Perhaps some of you are facing a difficult situation right now. Your faith is being put to the test. You're encountering an obstacle that's so overwhelming, you simply don't know how to get around it. Are you willing, like Ezra, to give it over to the Lord and to trust in him. It's not always easy. And that's because we like to be in control. We always want to be in the driver's seat. But at times we need to learn to let God take over. He may not work things out according to our liking. In fact, his will may be contrary opposite to our own will. But he knows what's best for us, even better than we know ourselves. And he will work everything out in such a way as to promote his glory and to advance his kingdom. And since that is so, beloved, let us trust in him. Let us venture on him. Let us stand back and see what God will do. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you are blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386, Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. 
Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, L-E-H-M-A-N, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on the webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening. And now, until next week, may the Lord be with you all.